The title of today's message is Know Yourself So That You May Know God. Know Yourself So That You May Know God. I really rarely tell you the title, but in this case, um, it is very important for you to know that's where we're going today. In order to know God fully, you actually have to know yourself. Um, as we get into this, I want to just tease out something that I think is very important and it may be an obstacle for some of, some of you. When we talk about the self, usually we're talking about the self in very um, negative terms or we, we'll, we'll highlight the need to deny yourself or give up yourself or even die to yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, all those things. And, and usually when we're talking about the self, it's in a very negative sense and appropriately so. There's a lot that the New Testament um, cause us to uh, die to our flesh, die to our self, give up our self agenda, all those things, right? Not be selfish, don't be conceited, all that. Um, today, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a different thing that God calls us to do with ourself. And that is to, in a holy and appropriate way, to know yourself and to even, dare I say, love yourself, not in an arrogant or prideful way, but in a godly way. If that is hard for you to wrestle with, like I'm telling you, you need to love yourself, that might feel very self-helpish, um, but it's not. God loves you. And, and, and so if God loves you, if God has mercy on you, if he has compassion on you, if he's crazy about you, it would literally be the definition of being godly to love yourself not in a uh, ungodly way or a selfish way or an, in an arrogant way. We're not talking about that. We're talking about in a healthy way. Jesus says we are to love the Lord and we are to love our neighbor as ourself. It's really hard to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself. So we're going to dive into the crucial nature of knowing and loving the person God's created so that we can actually know him. And uh, I've actually never heard a sermon like this growing up in church. Um, this is not a, a spiritual formation um, area that most of us have received, but I want to submit to you that it is actually crucial for you to know the person that God created you to be. I want to tell you just a quick story about myself uh, as we get into that might help you, might help frame where we're going with this. Um, our motto here at, the, at our church is, it's okay to not be okay. And kind of the subtext of that would be, just don't lie about it, don't stay there, because God meets you where you're at. Right? The starting line for where God meets you is in reality. And if you're not doing okay, lying about it and being dishonest about it isn't going to help you because God's waiting for you to be honest about how you're doing. And so we, we, that's been our motto really from the beginning, that it's okay to not be okay. Um, that actually God wants us to be honest and he wants us to be vulnerable with how we're doing and who we are so that uh, we could actually walk forward in the truth. Now, one great thing about that is we do that pretty well. Uh, we're not perfect by any means, but uh, one of the things I hear often as a pastor from people who have been around for a while or people who are new is that this feels like a safe place, that we, we feel like a safe people, that you don't have to have it all together. I mean, I'm preaching to you in a t-shirt 
right? Um, we we just are who we are, okay? And so um, it's been like a, just a great grace that God has given us, not anything. We've been intentional, but man, we can't manufacture that. We're just trying to be honest with where we're at. Um, and, and I'm grateful that I'm able to do that. Um, I am surrounded by people in our church, whether that's in our leadership team or on our staff or just with friends or other brothers and sisters or with, with you, I can be myself. Um, I feel no pressure usually to be something that I'm not. Now, I, that wasn't always the case, but, but recently I, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable being who God called me to be. And um, it's okay to be that way. I forgot how powerful that is. And last year I was with a group of people, um, not in our church, not even in our city. So don't even guess. You don't, don't even try to guess. Who's he talking about? You don't know. You know n- none of these people. I was with a group of people and I was myself. Now, my past history with this group of people is that I would walk on eggshells and I would not say what I thought was happening or what the truth was. Um, and I would um, often just kind of retreat to the back corner and be shy and be quiet and be reserved and not really offer myself to people. And I had built built an unhealthy pattern of doing that with this group. Um, but something happened um, last year. I had an interaction with this group and I forgot to do that. I forgot to regulate who I am. And I shared my opinion and I shared what I thought was happening in our world. And I was unapologetic about it. I wasn't rude. I wasn't unkind or unloving. I was just like, with grace and with truth, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I think. I was not prepared for the backlash that I got. I was not prepared for being attacked. I was not prepared to see other people cheer those who were attacking me. And I was not prepared for all the people who just sat there silently and watched it happen and didn't do anything and didn't say anything to me afterwards. After a few days, a few days after this experience, I was walking with Shari around our, around in our neighborhood. And I was just like, gosh, that felt so wrong. Like, what was that about? And I, I began to process like what I was feeling and why I was feeling that way. It took me a few days, but I figured out what happened is I normally unconsciously self-regulate who I am when I'm around this group of people. I morph into the Drew that they're comfortable with and I bite my tongue and I say yes when I want to say no and I cannot be okay on the inside, but I project that everything's fine and they're used to that. That's the Drew they know, but they don't know the real Drew. And so when the real Drew showed up accidentally, because I wasn't thinking, I was just used to, it's okay, not be okay. There was an earthquake in, in, in the system. And so um, you have to know who you are in order to really know who God is. And in order to really be of benefit, to be with God and used um, of God in the world. Um, The title of this, again, I want you to sit with is, you have to know yourself so that you can know who God is. I wanna submit to you this truth. We'll put it 
on the screen, if you're watching, if you're listening, just imagine it. In awareness of yourself and your relationship with God are closely related. Sit with that. In awareness of yourself and your relationship with God are closely related. In other words, if you're not very self-aware of who you are and how you're doing, it's going to be very difficult to walk with the Lord in the greatest amount of health that he has for you. I want to ask you a few questions. Are you an imposter? Do you feel like an imposter? Are you posing and wearing masks and costumes and kind of masquerading as like Halloween 365 days for you? Are you presenting to the world someone that you're really not? Are you like me, where it's easy to regulate who you are and what's going on with you so that people will accept you? Are you hiding who you really are? Like Adam and Eve, we all cover ourselves with fig leaves. We cover the places that we don't want people to see. We often, like our first parents, Adam and Eve, hide and cover who we really are and how we really are. It's easy to live a lie. And I think most of us wouldn't articulate it that way. We, when we do this, we aren't consciously saying how that we're lying. But if you're hiding who you are, if you're um, afraid to show the real you, my friends, I just want to suggest, I think you may be living a lie. To live according to the false self, not the true self that God created, is very destructive. And I want to read you about 15 symptoms of people who are living according to their false self. And, and as a result, they're not living honestly, and not, they're not living as God intended, and they're not living into the identity and the uniqueness that God designed. And so if you're wondering if that's you, here's a list of, I think it's about 15 Symptoms of living in the false self. We'll see if any of these resonate with you. You say yes, but really mean no. You get depressed when people are upset with you. You need to be approved of by others to feel good about yourself. You're nice on the outside, but inside you can't stand the person you're with. You often remain silent in order to keep the peace. You believe that if you make mistakes, you yourself are a mistake or a failure. You criticize others in order to feel better about yourself. You avoid looking foolish by not having the right answer. You have to be doing something exceptional in order to feel alive. You are constantly fearful and can't take risks. You do what others want so that they don't get mad at you. You use knowledge and competence to cover your feelings of inadequacy. You want your children to behave well so that others will think you're a good parent. You compare yourself to other people. Are you living your true self, the person that God created and that God loves? Or are you regulating yourself? Are you covering yourself with your version of whatever fig leaves are? Are you hiding are you living the false self? If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
1 Samuel 17, we'll start in verse 23. As you turn there, or as you pull it up on your phone, uh, let me give you just a little bit of kind of context on this. This is the story of David and Goliath. And David is an incredible example for us to study on someone who knew God deeply and someone who knew themselves very deeply. Um, a little bit of context here, and you can read the whole chapter, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to read you the whole chapter. There is a standstill between um, God's people and these Philistines. They're on these two mountains, and in between the mountains are a valley, and they're kind of they're 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 kind of paused. They're they're stuck because um, for for either army to move forward, um, they would have to expose themselves, lose the high ground, and go into the valley and become vulnerable. And if any one of them did that, they would lose. They would all die. And so these armies that are in battle are just on these mountaintops, and they're stuck. And when this would happen, what they would do is they would send one representative from each army to go down to the valley and fight, you know, mano a mano. And whoever won, that's the army who would win. And this would eliminate like unnecessary bloodshed by lots of people. And so um, God's people are in this standstill with the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines send forth a guy by the name of Goliath, who's nine feet tall, nine inches. They, it says that the tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds and the armor that he weighed, the armor that he wore weighed 125 pounds. I can't bench 125 pounds. I know you look at me and think, man, Drew, you're like, you could bench 300. I can't. I can't bench 125, much less wear 125 pounds. But this is Goliath. And for 40 days, they're in the standstill. And for 40 days, Goliath comes down and intimidates God's people twice a day. So Goliath does that for 40 days, twice a day. 80 times Goliath is taunting God's people. And God's people are scared and they won't send anybody down to fight him because they know they're going to lose. So they're stuck. Now, as we read this story in 1 Samuel, I want you to pay attention to the three obstacles that David, this boy, has to cut through. He has to cut through the obstacle of what his family expects of him and what his family believes he's capable of doing. So the first obstacle is his family. The second obstacle is he has to fight through the obstacle of the authority and the experts that are saying you can't do it. And then the last obstacle is the obvious obstacle, and it's the obstacle of, of Goliath, which is terrifying. Like, like David is facing death, okay? And I think, man, I'm not sure that I am uh, brave enough to handle any of those obstacles, much less all three of them, much less a nine-foot-tall, nine-inch giant mocking me and saying he's going to feed my flesh to the birds. And so David, this boy, is in this situation where... If he is to come out of it alive, he has to know himself, and he has to know who God is. And so as we read this, pay attention to those obstacles. The obstacle of the family, the obstacle of the authority and the experts, and the obstacle of Goliath. We'll start in 1 Samuel 17, verse 23. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, the same words he's spoken 80 times. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make 
um, his father's house, his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, "What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that they should defy the armies of the living God?" And the people answered him in the same way, "So shall it be done to the man who kills him." Now, Eliab, his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger, this is David's brother, was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. This is David's obstacle to his family. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Verse 41, and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give your dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth and to all the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, which is something I would not do. Verse 49, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Now, the rest of the story that you can read is 
Goliath is struck down. David goes and takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off, and the Philistines run and are scared, and David is victorious. It's a crazy story. It's kind of an odd story to, to make <laughs> for kids, uh, but it's a crazy story. Did you notice the three obstacles that David had to cut through? Not that David had to avoid, but David had to face them head on and cut through them. The first was his family. His brother said he was conceited. You know, David was the youngest of eight kids. He was the smallest. He was a shepherd, not a soldier. And so, you know, no harm on his brothers. Like they were just looking at it naturally. But they judged him as being something that he wasn't. David was misunderstood. He was ignored. He was slandered. He was disregarded. He was dismissed. He was put down. And the message that David received from his family and from his brothers was, you're not good enough. How dare you be out here? Go home. Get out of here. You're nobody. That was the message that David heard from his family. You're not good enough. How dare you be out here? Get away. You're not good enough. You know, sometimes family can be a huge obstacle for us. Sometimes our family, while doing maybe the best they could, loves us not for who God has created us to be, but who they expect us to be. There's great pain in our families. I Early on in our church, we would often talk about how the church is family, and I never, I didn't fully realize like why people never latched onto that, and it was because there's so much hurt in our families. Often, we can grow up under the wrong expectations that our parents or that our, our, our siblings have on us, whether it's spoken or implied or whether we assume it. You know, our families are supposed to be safe places for God to grow us up, and sometimes, many times, they're not that. Many times... Our families are the ones that judge us and condemn us and say, who do you think you are? Sometimes the messages we receive from our family are, you're not good enough and how dare you? And what are you even doing here? You're a nobody, you should get out of here. Nobody really noticed who David was. His, his, uh, his family did not notice who God made David to be. And that is tragic, that is, that is hard. But the good news is two people did notice. God noticed. God noticed David. And second, David noticed David. And this, one of the most powerful things in here is that David did not dismiss himself. David did not judge himself. David noticed David. You know, we expect God to notice David. But have you sat with the fact that David noticed David David knew himself, and as a result, he was able to know God. The other significant obstacle that David faces is the obstacle of the authority, Saul, the experts, those who are trained with experience. Verse 33, Saul tells David he's just a young boy and that he can't do it. And Saul was very competent. He led 300,000 soldiers and more. Now, to be frank, if Saul told me I can't do it, I would believe Saul. I'd be like, yeah, you're right. You would know. You're the king. You're the one with experience. You're the one leading 300,000 people. I'm a young shepherd boy no one believes in. I think you're right. That would be my disposition, but that was not David's disposition. Now, one of the things here that we've got to be careful on is the Bible does teach us that we have to seek out wise counsel. And we should seek out those in authority and those who are experts and those who are trained and those who have experience on what they, what they, what they believe. But, but not all counsel is, e is equal. Not all counsel is godly counsel. Just because you receive counsel doesn't mean that it's right. You can receive bad counsel. And sometimes in our effort to seek out counsel, 
we don't distinguish between what's godly counsel and what's ungodly counsel. Had David listened to these authorities and those who were experts, we wouldn't be learning about them, probably. David had an expert in his life, Saul, say, you can't do it. And we should pay attention to those things, but what's most powerful is that David was an expert. David was an expert with the sling, with the five five smooth stones. David was an expert. David was an expert in himself. He knew that he had overtaken a bear and overtaken a lion, that God was with him and that, that God would do the same with this Philistine. David had to cut through the obstacles of of the experts and the people who said, you should do this. He's able to say, ah, actually, I, I'm, I, I'm an expert in killing bears and lions, and I'm a boy. The last obstacle that David had to face was the obvious one, the obstacle of Goliath. Goliath was huge, and he despised and mocked and insulted David. We have a romanticized, at least I do, I have a romanticized version of David and Goliath in my head. But this was scary. This is no Sunday school story. We must remember that Goliath was not a pleasant experience for David. And it's really like two on one. It's like Goliath with his armor bearer versus a shepherd. Like it's, it's in that sense, it's not a fair fight, but it wasn't a fair fight because David was an, was an expert marksman with the sling. David was not being guided by fear. He was not being guided by what his family thought of him. He wasn't being guided by what the experts thought of him. He wasn't even being guided by the fear of Goliath. He was being guided from something on the inside. His awareness of who he was, his awareness of his training and his experience and his gifts and his awareness that God was with him and that he was doing this not for um, the prize money, but he was doing this for the glory of God. And because of that, David cut through the obstacle of his family. He cut through the obstacle of those in authority. And he cut through the obstacle of Goliath. And he ran. He moved towards Goliath, which is so profound to me. David, this boy, this shepherd, fights Goliath when Saul and 300,000 other trained soldiers wouldn't. And David chose to fight the battle on his terms. David knows himself and knows God so well, he refuses the setup, he refuses the armor, he refuses the rules to the, of the game, so to speak, and he says, no, 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 no. I know, I know who I am, and I know how God made me. I'm gonna fight this battle on my terms, and he fights the battle with a rock and a sling, not with a sword and a javelin and heavy armor. Look at the differentiation that David has there. It took great courage for David to be David. And I want to submit to you that it takes great courage for you to be you. And you're not going to be able to love God and know God on the deepest of levels if you don't have the courage to be you, to know you, to be comfortable in your own skin, and to know how God made you. If David was desperate for the approval of others, if he was stuck in the slavery of living the expectations of other people for his life, we would probably not know about David and we wouldn't know about Goliath. David would have stayed in the trenches. He would have stayed in the bush with Israel hiding. He would have stayed stuck, paused on the mountain. 
but David was different. He knew who he was. He knew who God was. And so he had the courage to come out into the wide open field and to be seen and to be known and to exercise who God made him to be. He had the courage to do something Adam and Eve didn't do. Adam and Eve hid in the bush. Adam and Eve covered themselves. They covered who they were and how they were doing. David didn't do that. David came out of the bush. David came out in the, in the wide open and he offered himself up for the good of others and most importantly, for the glory of God. Here, here's the most important question I'm asking you today. What is keeping you hiding in the bush? What parts of your false self are keeping you from stepping out into the wide open field that God is calling you in? What, what are the things? What are, are there family dynamics? Is there counsel that other people have told you that, hey, you can't do that, you're not qualified? Is, is there a Goliath, so to speak, in your life that's keeping you in fear, that's keeping you living in falsehood, that's keeping you in slavery, that's keeping the image of God that is deposited in you from, from becoming fully known and given to the world? Now, I have done to this story what is one of my pet peeves, which is to make a Bible story about us. We often put ourselves in the hero's journey. But really, the story is about Jesus. The story is the story of the gospel. Um, you are not ultimately David. And I think it's fine to, to unpack kind of how David was working his inner life and to draw that to ourselves. That's fine. But the bigger part of the story is that um, if we're in the story, we're Israel scared in the bushes, you know. Jesus is the David character, and Goliath is sin. You know, Jesus is the better David. Jesus is the one that no one gave any attention to. Jesus was the one whose own family rejected him. Jesus had to work through um, his mother and his brothers um, not really understanding who he was. Sometimes his family thought he was out of his mind. Jesus knows what it's like to cut through the obstacles of the, the expectations that family has. Jesus knows what it's, what it's like to go up against the authorities and to defy what is common wisdom of the day. Jesus knows what it looks like to face Goliath, to face Satan in the wilderness, to face Satan behind Peter, to face Satan behind Judas, and ultimately to face the ultimate Goliath, which is the cross. The real meaning of David and Goliath is that Jesus is the better David and he slays the sin that is Goliath. So that we might have spiritual freedom, so that we might have a restored relationship with God, so that we might know God and that we might know whom God has created us to be. Jesus is the greater David, and he's delivered us. I wanna give you um, a homework assignment. Um, if you're listening or watching, in the description of this, there will be a link to a, piece, to a PDF you can go to our website and download and print out. And it's something called a daily office. Now this is like a sample from the daily office that many of us are going through with uh, Pete Scazzaro. Um, but office simply means like 
um, God to work in us, right? And so daily office is something different than quiet time, like something that you do. Daily office is like stopping and having silence and stillness and allowing God's word to penetrate your heart and like asking and reflecting on some deep questions and experiencing God's presence and being attentive to where God's presence is leading you. So daily office is so much different than having a quote quiet time. Um, and so I want to offer to you uh, something from Pete, just a, like a sample daily office. It'll just be, it's just two things. And it's, it's centered on the story of David and Goliath. And I think if you've never done this, or if you want to take this and go a little bit deeper, this would be beautiful to do. It doesn't take long to do, but I encourage you to spend some time in the morning or on your lunch break or in the evening doing one of these. And you can do them back to back. You can do them one, you know, in the morning, in the evening, or you can do them one day and then another day. This is just out there to help whet your appetite. If you've never explored um, sitting in silence and solitude and sitting with a, a passage and letting it soak into your life and being attentive to what God may be saying to you. This is a very easy one. So I want to encourage you, um, if you're watching, if you're listening, go to this description and uh, get that download totally free. We're going to end our time with some silence. We're going to end our time uh, meditating on a line from Psalm 23, a psalm that the shepherd boy David wrote. We'll put this on the screen, and I want you to, if you're, you know, hopefully not driving, but if you're in a place where you can assume kind of a calm position, I ask you to do so. We're going to put the phrase on the screen. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I wonder if David thought about that path running towards Goliath, and if David is reflecting on, we have no way of knowing, but is David reflecting on this path of righteousness that God led him on for God's namesake? Just sit with this. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Maybe a word that stands out to you would be, he leads, he guides. Where do you need the Lord? to lead you and guide you. He leads me. God, maybe you should sit with this fact that God wants to lead you, that you are worth loving and you are worth guiding and you are worth leading and that God knows you, God notices you, and that he wants to lead you. Maybe you should sit with this, that he leads me. Maybe it's he leads me in paths, not a straight path, but multiple paths, paths that take twists and turns and that we can't see where they're going. And maybe you should just sit with this, that God is the type of God who leads you or guides you in paths, not highways, but paths that take time to walk Paths of righteousness. Maybe you should sit with righteousness and what that means. Maybe you should sit with the fact that he does all this not so that you can get the, the prize money, so to speak. Not so that you could get approval. Not even so that you should be happy or content. But he, he leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, which is what you see David doing here. So I want to let you sit with that for a few minutes. You can keep just saying this line to yourself over and over again. 
and ask for the Lord to just highlight or circle or double click on one of those words for you. Pay attention. Know yourself so that you may know 